message, but believers let this jam pour out from your speakers. I'm moving the message with a purpose, collectively scratching the surface. I'm on the surface of this earth for a reason, gonna expose all of those involved in treason. Oh, yeah, I got a purpose. They tried to make us feel worthless, and yes, you got a purpose. No movement happens without us in our service. Barbarian, and I'm German, I'm Native American, and yeah, I think I'm hurting for all the people that we were equal. I see the guns and the violence getting lethal, all of these evils, how are they legal? They forgot that we are the people. Participation. Let's act and show our innovation. Yeah, hey, I'll go to war with this. Cause I'm a badass mixed girl activist. And if you find yourself becoming passionate, we got a lot of issues, so ration it. Guns pointed in the air, so I'm fighting. Poison in our water, so I'm fighting. Trees getting torn down, it's frightening. So I'm striking these issues like lightning. Yes, step with me if you're fighting. Come step with me if you're fighting, fighting. I am Barbarian, and I'm German. I'm Native American, and yeah, I think I'm hurting. For all the people that we were equal. I see the guns and the violence getting lethal. All of these evils, how are they legal? They forgot that we are the people. They forgot that we are the people. They, they forgot that we are the people. That was Brittany Chantel from the album Faith and Humanity. That was We Are the People. Welcome to Polyrical, a podcast on political music, a soundtrack for the resistance, a topical solution for the political revolution. I want to hear from you, so if you like what you hear, or even if you don't, you can send me a message. You can go to polyrical.com. You'll find a link there to send an email. You'll also find a link there to make a recommendation. You can recommend an artist, a song, or a topic for a future episode. You'll also find some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. Here is Land of the Free by The Killers. the windblown smile from across my face it's just the old man and me washing his truck at the Sinclair station in the land of the free his mother Adeline's family came on a ship cut coal and planted a seed down in them drift mines of Pennsylvania In the land of the free
to the art known we're not talking about the artist of the episode well we are talking about the artist of the episode but the topic of the episode comes first but the topic of the episode and the artist of the episode are the same in this episode both are howard zinn you can go to howardzinn.org for a whole lot of information about howard zinn uh here is the short biography from that site Howard Zinn was a historian, author, professor, playwright, and activist. His life's work focused on a wide range of issues, including race, class, war, and history, and touched the lives of countless people. Zinn grew up in Brooklyn in a working-class immigrant household. At 18, he became a shipyard worker, and then joined the Air Force and flew bombing missions during World War II. These experiences helped shape his opposition to war and his strong belief in the importance of knowing history. After attending college under the GI Bill, he worked as a warehouse loader while earning a Ph.D. in history from Columbia University. From 1956 to 1963, he taught at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, where he became active in the civil rights movement. After being fired by Spellman for his support for student protesters, Zinn became a professor of political science at Boston University, where he taught until his retirement in 1988. Zinn was the author of dozens of books, including A People's History of the United States, the play Marx in Soho, Vietnam, The Logic of Withdrawal, and SNCC, The New Abolitionists. He received many awards, including the Lannan Foundation Literary Award for Nonfiction, the Eugene V. Debs Award for his writing in political activism, and the Ridenauer Courage Prize. At howardzin.org, you'll find his full bibliography, the dozens of books that Howard Zinn wrote, um, several of which really touched and really influenced me and my politics. One of my early turns away from the mainstream of uh, political and historical discourse was Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. That'll bring us to the first track we have in this set on Howard Zinn. This track is from The Truth, from the album The People's Music. This is Words from Howard Zinn. People are reluctant to accept the fact that we have not been the good guys of the world. People don't want to think that. I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to think that. And it's only when I started to read history that I realized, no, this goes way back. The drive to conquer, to expand, to control. And when you know that history, if you know that history, you're not going to be deceived uh, as easily. 
Because if you don't know the history, it's as if you were born yesterday. If you were born yesterday, the president gets up there in front of the microphone and says that we've got to go to war for freedom, for democracy. And if you don't know the history, well, he's the president. He knows. <laughs> and why did they know these things? And Americans did not know these things, or at least 65% or 70% of Americans, the ones who said they supported the war. The one reason I can think of is the one you talked about, and that is those people out there, they're not watching CNN. They're not watching Fox News. They have alternative sources of information. So that suggests that you know our job is, how, how do we get information to people? If you just persist in telling people the truth, persist in giving people information that they don't have, that it will make its way make its way all those little things that people do they add up and suddenly one day they burst out and you have a movement From the album Toxicity, that was System of a Down with the track Dear Dance. You heard in the middle of that the lyric, We can't afford to be neutral on a moving train. That is a quote from Howard Zinn, and it kind of encapsulates Howard Zinn's ethos, his his kind of core, and what what compelled him to write what he wrote to say what he spoke to act out publicly in civil disobedience actions uh, and to support others who did the same. Um, I'm really inspired by that. And that's what uh, inspired me this year to transition my online presence and my 
podcast network to the name Moving Train Media. Here's a couple quotes from Howard Zinn. I'm worried that students will take their obedient place in society and look to become successful cogs in the wheel. Let the wheel spin them around as it wants without taking a look at what they're doing. I'm concerned that students not become passive acceptors of the official doctrine that's handed down to them from the White House, the media, textbooks, teachers, and preachers. And civil disobedience is not our problem. Our problem is civil obedience. Our problem is that people all over the world have obeyed the dictates of leaders, and millions have been killed because of this obedience. Our problem is that people are obedient all over the world in the face of poverty and starvation and stupidity and war and cruelty. Our problem is that people are obedient while the jails are full of petty thieves and the grand thieves are running the country. That's our problem. Here's two tracks from Vinnie Paz. The first one is off the album God of the Serengeti. This is You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train. Governments lie all the time. Well, not just the American government. It's just in the nature of governments. Well, they have to lie. And since they don't represent the people, and so since they act against the interests of the people, the only way they can hold power is if they lie to the people. That's the cornerstone everything racism based in The African had a more advanced civilization Black was slave, master was white, rationalization 50 million dead, that's western civilization At first they appeared in the north And they were helpless in the face of superior force And all of them were chained together, they really was lost Racism isn't natural, it's merely divorce Before the slave trade, black was considered distasteful By the Oxford Dictionary, I found it disgraceful It's not a natural tendency to be bitter and hateful It's an actual enemy of the critical staple Slavery grew as the plantation system grew The reason for that's kinda easily traceable Society of helpless dependence was capable Of saying fuck a slave master, you in slavery too Seven slaves were put to death for murdering master Fear of slave revolt had them developing faster You a Catalina killer, an elegant bastard I would burn the 
white man while smelling the ashes From time to time, white man was part of the resistance White indentured servants wanted no part of the system King Philip's war showed that if people would listen That they could maybe break the complex chain of oppression Tyranny is tyranny, but that's a concession But the women, they was treated like that of possessions Black women had it work cause they was abused That's the white justification of arrogant blues The next move was to dominate the Mexicans James Polk dominated them like they was next to Ken He sent Colonel Cross to lie to them and let them in Eleven days later his skull was crushed so message sent We take nothing by conquest, that was the mantra The military wasn't human, they were just monsters Henry David Thoreau refused to pay his taxes Denounced the Mexican war and got locked in shackles The 20th century opened, anger emerged Reality of ordinary life was being heard Anarchists and feminists came from factory work Communism, socialism seemed to be rebirth War is the health of the state is what Bourne said And if you was born around that time you was born dead The espionage act had people confused Cause it was double talk and they didn't know how it be used Supposedly it was an act against spying Do boys know that that was bullshit and they was lying Charles Schenck was arrested in Philadelphia For printing and distributing leaflets cause they was helping you He was indicted, tried and then found guilty And spent six months in jail, don't that sound silly? Had his freedom taken away by his own nation But there's a lesson, do not submit to intimidation The act still exists today and this shit is real Supposedly Kennedy tried to have that shit appealed Eugene Debs did ten years for no purpose He obstructed the recruiting and enlistment service The post office started taking mail privileges Of magazines who printed anti-war sentiments A socialist named Fairchild had it right He said that they can shoot me but they can't make me fight They sentenced him to a year in jail and that was reckless 65,000 men conscientious objectors They were sent to army bases to work there They were treated sadistically and were hurt there They were strangled with a hemp rope till they collapsed And officers punched their stomach and they lower back A garden hose was placed on their face with a nozzle About six inches from them so they couldn't swallow The war ended in 1918 The government was just trying to wipe the slate clean Hemingway wrote farewell to arms Dalton Trumbo wrote Johnny got his gun The war was over but they didn't learn a lesson Twin tactics of control, reform and repression The patriotic fervor of war had been invoked That's why the country that you live in is a fucking joke You cannot be neutral on a moving train This is a story about the lies that your teacher told you This is real actual factual No lies in the whole record If you don't believe me, look it up I'm trying to share the shit that I learned With y'all Do the knowledge Your government does not care about you The people in power do not care about you Understand that Power to the people Undercover, no reluctance. There were underpublicized signs of resistance. 
Hitler's Germany was unspeakable evil But let's discuss real quick what we did to people We opposed the Haitian Revolution We turned Guam, Puerto Rico, and Hawaii into institutions Pretended to help Cuba win freedom from Spain This country built on the blood of other people's pain Blacks was looking at anti-Semitism in Germany And saw the situation here was mirroring it perfectly We appeased Hitler all throughout the 30s Only years later we pretended we was worried Roosevelt was hesitant to be gritty And caused a resolution to be buried in committee The main interest was never to stop fascism But advance an imperial interest of that prism Roosevelt didn't care about oppression of the Jews The power was priority, I'm telling you the truth Hitler not the reason that we entered the land Roosevelt was mad that we got hit by Japan Historians will tell you he provoked that shit He told lies and attempts to sugarcoat that shit were jammed onto the Queen Mary. The black was stole down in the depths of the same ferry. See, there's a parallel you have to understand that they wanted them to fight but wouldn't treat them like a man. Industrial mobilization had a few divided. The economic royalists denounced and derided. The agony of victory was heavily priced. The war ended, three million men wasn't strike. It's no peace in the world of capitalism. Nazi eugenics, economic rationalism. The lesson was that war solved problems of control Regardless if it causes any problems for the soul The black revolt in the 50s came as a surprise It shouldn't have after we took so many of their lives You can't erase the memory of an oppressed people Reparation doesn't make it any less evil Some black folks joined the communist party Richard Wright spoke of disillusionment with the party The party was accused of exploiting black people Angelo Herndon felt everything was equal He was arrested and convicted for insurrection How the fuck it's insurrection? I call it dissension Gave him five years when all he wanted was protection There was other black men that made the same connection Benjamin Davis defended Herndon as a savior Then Paul Robeson, he only magnified the danger Harry Truman had to deal with the militant mode But how the fuck that gonna work when he erased his soul? In 54 they said the end of segregation Ten years later, no changes was always minutes away about the bus Rosa Parks refused the black section of the bus The freedom riders were spreading across the nation And went to jail for marching and fighting discrimination FBI stood by, Justice Department stood by All civil rights workers were beaten, they just stood by Three civil rights workers, two black and one white Arrested in Philadelphia, Mississippi one night They were released, beaten with chains and shot to death There were arrests made, but it was not confessed. The national government remained silent. The president wouldn't defend blacks against violence. Civil rights laws were passed, but they were fraud. Equality was enforced, polio was ignored. Martin Luther King's speech thrilled whoever heard it. Five years later, he was targeted and murdered. In 65, the watch riots burned into the street. The black man would no longer turn to your retreat. The Black Panther Party scared Nixon, but that did nothing to change his position. A new black consciousness was born and still alive, and that came from the will to survive. This is the part why we talk about Vietnam, but me and Rugged Man, we already made this song. By the 70s, distrust is spread across the nation. Basic discontent, political alienation, 55,000 died in the war, immoral shame, and then Watergate was added to the whole of pain. The Watergate burglaries was rather complicated, but in the end, mostly all of them exonerated. Nixon had CIA and G. Gordon Liddy lie about the Democratic National Committee, but eventually they all flipped on him and told the Senate that they had a lot of shit on him. After that, it was a swift and a sudden fall. Nixon resigned before they could impeach the ball. They got rid of Nixon, but they kept the system. His foreign policy still remains in position. Corporate interests still remained in position. His closest advisors remained in position. Vietnam, recession, and unrest all adds up to a motherfucking mess. After Watergate and Vietnam, there was a deep economic insecurity in this world of ours. Environmental deterioration took its toll. A cultural violence of broken families took its toll. Problems couldn't be solved without bold changes. But no major party candidates proposed changes. American political tradition held fast. 
urban communities turning into hell fast. Black folks are bitterly disappointed with Carter. Opposed federal aid to poor people. Didn't bother. Reagan got elected and he built the military up a trillion dollars later. And his motherfucker dummy up. He cut benefits for the poor to get the money up. Social security disability went belly up. Unemployment grew in the Reagan years. 30 million people unemployed in the Reagan years. Welfare became an object of attack. Especially if you was Latino when you was black. I'm just scratching the surface of what was wrong. We'll pick the conversation up in the next song. To be continued. <laughs> you can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who's your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? And that was Vinnie Paz from the album The Cornerstone of the Corner Store. That was Writings on Disobedience and Democracy. And that will round out the songs that are based on or about Howard Zinn. And that will bring us to a few words. And most of the rest of the uh, episode is going to be spoken. Uh, But I'm going to sprinkle in some music along the way before we get to the wrap-up songs at the end. Here is Howard Zinn speaking. This is from the recording Artists in a Time of War, and this is the track The Artist and Society. Well, I have never talked about this topic. I won't say I've never talked, (laughs) but I've never talked about this topic. You know, the art and society. Of course, I've thought about it. My wife is a painter. I have artist friends. Some of my best friends are artists. Some of them are here observing me. Uh, But as I say, yeah, I've thought about it, of course, all of us have. And uh, and what comes to mind when I think of the, you know, the relationship of the artist to society what should be the relationship of the artist to society. And with me, it's always a question of what should be and not what is. But I think of the word transcendent, which is a word I've never used in public. (laughs) But it was the only thing I could come up with to describe uh, what I think about the role of the artist. And by that I mean, you know, not, you know, Immanuel Kant's, well, yes, sort of close to it, but not really <laughs> his idea of what is transcendent, something like it. But the, the idea is that the artist transcends the immediate, uh, transcends the here and now. The artist, well, transcends the madness of the world, transcends the madness of terrorism, transcends the madness of war. And uh, the artist thinks outside the framework and acts and paints and does music and writes outside the framework that society has, has created. And, and the artist may do s- no more than, and I don't mean to minimize it by saying no more than, the artist may do more than you know, give us uh, beauty and laughter, uh, passion, surprise, drama and that's that's good <laughs> uh, that is the artist needn't apologize for just doing that because in doing that the the artist is telling us what the world should be like even if it isn't that way now and the artist is is taking us away from 
the moments of horror that we experience every day in this world, some days more than others, and, and showing us something else, showing us what is possible. There's no need for an artist to apologize about just giving us something that is passionate and beautiful and funny or any of those. No, no need to apologize for that. So we went to all the powers when we were young. At that time, children could not dance. Only people over 50 years of age could dance. Hmm. Most people do not know this, that the government forbid children to dance Indian. And that was so they could wipe out the culture and the young people. And then finally, the new generation would never know what happened, never know what happened. Don't you even know how to be a real Indian? I guess not. Well, shit, no wonder, jeez. I guess I'll have to teach you then, ain't it? And that track was Ethnocide by Superman, featuring Walking Buffalo. Here is Howard Zinn with the track Class Legislation. This is off A People's History of the United States. The history of legislation in this country is a history of class legislation. Legislation is rarely talked about in class terms. It's talked about as if all the laws that are passed apply equally to everybody. Like they will say, taxes are raised, taxes are lowered. Do you want a tax hike or do you want taxes lowered? Well, it's kind of a meaningless question unless you ask whose taxes? Taxes where? Taxes at what level? But the idea is to embrace us all in one great family, as if the measures that are passed by Congress apply equally to all of us, but of course they don't. We've had class legislation in this country ever since the very first Congress, ever, first, ever since Hamilton's economic program was passed by the very first Congress, and the first legislation they passed was tariffs to the manufacturers, a banking partnership between the government and, and the government helping out private banking interests, a payoff to the, to the speculators and bondholders, and an army ready to go out and taxes on the poor, and an army ready to go out and collect those taxes if they refuse to pay it, as happened very shortly uh, at, uh, in the 1794 in the Whiskey Rebellion in Pennsylvania. Class legislation in a very straight line from the Hamilton economic program right up through the budget bill now being debated in Congress, right up through the oil depletion allowances of our time, right up to the enormous subsidies to the aircraft industry, which would have gone into bankruptcy after 
World War II if the United States government had not given enormously lucrative contracts to the aircraft industry and, and kept them alive. You, know, you go to the federal government when you're short of funds and ask them to keep you alive with little subsidy. And that's a position so many people are in today with the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting collapse of large segments of the economy, massive layoffs, uh, tens of millions of people just in the United States that are now unemployed, and the very little that the U.S. government has done to financially or otherwise support the people. There was one $1,200 per person uh, stipend or really tax refund that was uh, given near the beginning of the pandemic, the beginning of the economic collapse. And there was a boost to unemployment that ran for a number of weeks, but that has since expired and has not been renewed uh, from the federal government. There are certain states that have extended or rolled out uh, a boost to the unemployment benefits that they are granting. So, but in, in the meantime, the stock market is acting like there's nothing going on, like there's nothing happening. That's because the financial support from the U.S. government went to the corporations and kept them solvent and kept them afloat and kept them, uh, kept their stocks uh, flying high for the most part. So uh, unfortunately, we have a government that is not supportive of the people here in the United States and in many countries around the world. Here's Howard Zinn once again from A People's History of the United States. This is how social change happens. It's interesting. You would think from reading the little, well, uh, sorry, we can't afford this. Sorry, we can afford child care. We can't afford to give school lunches to kids. We can't afford to give $500 a month to a mother taking care of two kids. We, we don't have the money for the arts. We have to cut money for music. We just don't have it. This country with this enormous gross national product, truly gross national <laughs> product, you see. Uh, wealth, uh, which is concentrated in a, in a small portion of the population, which is wasted on the military budget, which goes for all sorts of purposes other than human purposes. And we, we, there's a basis there in those facts and, and the existence, I believe, in most American people, not all American people, but most large numbers of American people of the, the uh, sense of what is just and what is right. And I believe that's the, that's the basis for people beginning to move, people beginning to act, people to get together with other people, not to allow those people who are, who are trying to convince us that they have it all their way. Uh, why? Because they were elected by some small part of the population who voted unenthusiastically for them because they had nobody else to vote for? <laughs> Uh, uh, people begin to act, people begin to move, people begin to organize in the smallest of ways with the smallest of groups. Well, that's how social movements develop. That's how social movements have developed historically. Uh, and if everybody understands that uh, the smallest action, oh, it, it may not have any effect, but it might join to millions of other small actions and at a certain point in history might bring about the kind of changes we want, uh, might uh, actually cr uh, change policy, might actually boldly change policy uh, and do something about the uh, 
the horrors of, of racism and, and uh, the, in, the unequal treatment of sexes and the unequal treatment of, of uh, uh, gay people and the unequal treatment of children, uh, do something about all those things. Because we certainly, we're approaching a new century. We, we don't want to go into this new century repeating the history of the old century. And I, th I think it's possible not to repeat that and to do something new and startling. And not only that, what, whatever you accomplish, whatever is accomplished, and you never know what you will accomplish, and anybody would be rash, and I would be rash to predict, oh yes, it's certain, great things will happen. Uh, Except that I know that if you don't do anything, I know great things won't happen. Uh, if you act, great things might happen. But whether they do or not, in the process, in the course of it, by your action, by not simply living the life of a professional, <laughs> but having another life, uh, well, it will be more interesting and more fun and more rewarding. And as I say, whatever is accomplished, you will feel that you have participated in something worthwhile uh, all the time. Uh, that's worth doing. Th thank you for coming. Next up is Howard Zinn with The Need to Act. And as we listen to this, we're going to listen to Bruce Coburn's actions speak louder in the background. Yes. Where do I get this? <laughs> My optimism is not based on the on certainty. I'm not arguing about what is certainly going to happen. I'm just arguing about what can happen if we act. You see, that's all I'm saying. And I don't think, I don't think a, a succession of ruling classes in history establishes uh, beyond uh, any possibility of negation. I don't think an endless succession in history of ruling classes uh, does away with the possibility uh, that we can have a society without a ruling class. And just as I don't think that a history of, uh, of Repeated war and war and war means that we can't abolish war as a way of solving uh, grievances in international affairs. And, you know, the uh, things do change. They obviously haven't changed enough. But I, I, I believe that what happened with the movement, the civil rights movement of the 60s, change this country uh, in a way where it, uh, it can't go back beyond the, it can't go back to an older time. And I believe the women's movement changed consciousness about sexual equality in a very, very important way. And you know, even, though, even if these problems haven't been solved, and we say, well, we, we've had male domination all through history, all through history, all through history, but something has changed. Uh, and maybe we need to reconsider our uh, our sense of time. That is, maybe we, maybe we've been too much in a hurry. Because <laughs> maybe we, maybe we think that we need to do away with with elite rule and with class. Uh, rule and with sexual inequality and racism. We, we think we need to do it while we live. And maybe we ought to understand that maybe we can't do that, but we can move in that direction. And in the course of that moving in that direction, a lot of people will change and change in, in very good ways and a lot of good things will happen. But I think we have to have a much longer time perspective than a lot of people in social movements have had up to this point. Yes. Well, you represent a very strong uh, point of view 
which I hear from half of the, pe half of the people who talk to me about my book. Uh, that is, half of the people who talk to me about the people's history say, Mike, uh, I feel depressed. <laughs> and the other half say, well, I'm glad you told me about all the people who have fought back about the movements and the struggles and, and people we never heard of. And, uh, I'm, that's, and so it's, now maybe it's not 50-50. I would like to think it's 50-50. Maybe it's 70-30. And, uh, and I'm fooling myself about what I did. It's, it's a tough balance to strike that is to be <laughs> truthful about the terrible things that have happened and the, the number of times that's, that strikers have been mowed down by the police and that strikes have been lost, uh, to strike a balance between that and the uh, magnificent resistance of people and people coming back and back and back. And the IWW was destroyed by the government in the course of World War I, and their leaders were put on trial, and they were given long sentences, and, and they took this magnificent organization uh, and, uh, and just uh, eliminated it. And yet, in its time, in, in its short life, it did remarkable and inspiring things. It, it, it fought for people's rights, it organized workers, it won the textile strike in Lowell in, in 1912 against the power of the textile companies, it defended the rights of free speech of IWW of speakers, labor organizers who went around in towns and were arrested and, and then IWW people would gather from other states and they would come into those towns and they would speak and they would get arrested and they would do it again and again and again until the jails were full and overbursting. And, and, and until they had to be released from jail. But there's a, a, I mean, both things are true. That is, that we can read American history in such a way as to depress us with the, with the by, and this is the complaint very often of very, it's, uh, it's, it's not the complaint of my friends and not your complaint, but very often the complaint of traditionalists who say, you know, you're telling bad things about the United States, uh, and you know, why don't you tell the good things? Uh, and but I think it's a real it's a real challenge to be honest about uh, the power of the establishment, but at the same time, to tell uh, those stories which have been left out. Uh, of the history books. Now, I mean, you take something and then history, and how you look at an event can be looked upon in, in those two different ways. If, if you read the history of the Civil Rights Movement, and you come to that part of the Civil Rights Movement in which, uh, a, a part that's not as well known, let's say, as Selma, Alabama, or, or the Montgomery bus boycott, or the big marches in Birmingham, uh, you come to the movement in Albany, Georgia in 1961-62, a, a small town, uh, almost a town that, that seemed like it was still in slavery in uh, uh, cotton and peanut country in, uh, in southwest Georgia. But in 1961, the black population of, of Albany, Georgia rose up as it had, hadn't done uh, and in anybody's memory, it rose up and, and rebelled against racial segregation in the city of Albany. And before you knew it, 700 people were in jail. 1,000 people were in jail. A, a good part of the black population of Albany, Georgia. But they came out of jail and they went back on, in the demonstrations and the picket lines and the sit-ins and, and they, they were beaten and, and a, a woman who, who was uh, in, in jail and pregnant and beaten, lost her child, and, and all sorts of things happen in Albany. And the history of that very often is written as the history is of one of the defeats of the civil rights movement, because when, when that movement stopped in Albany, Georgia, it seemed that nothing had changed. There's nothing, they couldn't point anything specific that had been accomplished, and yet all these people had gone to jail, and, and a number of people had, had been hurt badly. I never read it that way. 
And some of the people who participated in that movement didn't read it that way. And a, a black man named Charles Sherrod, who went down to Albany at that time, who worked with SNCC and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and who after everybody left, well, or, that is after people who had gone down there to participate in the movement had left, he stayed and has stayed there all through these years. And he writes about ta that time and he says, I don't know why you call Albany, Georgia defeat. Because after Albany, defeat or not, people were never the same. Black people were never the same. White people were never the same. And he pointed to, to all the ways in which Albany, Georgia was different. And uh, well, you know how it is. You can look at the, uh, you can look at the, at the situation of racism in the United States today, and you can be in despair, and the people say, oh, the situation is worse than it ever was. Things have gone backward. Or the women's movement, and, and sexual equality, and things of, uh, it's possible. There's enough evidence. This is a great thing about history, right? There's always enough evidence on all sides to paint whatever picture you want, you see. And then you can paint a picture which, which puts people in despair, or you can, or you, or without inventing anything, you can find those episodes and then those moments in history which suggest to you that something else is possible, even if that something else has not yet taken place on a big enough scale, you know. Uh, I mean, I think of Albany, Georgia, when I think of Albany, Georgia, I think of, of these hundreds and hundreds of black people lined up in front of the desk of, of the chief of police of Albany, Georgia uh, to be booked. You know, their names, uh, uh, addresses, and, and, and at one point the, the chief looks over the top of his desk and there's somebody there and he can just barely see the top of his head and it was a nine-year-old kid uh, being arrested and the, and the chief said, boy, what's your name? And the little boy replied, freedom, freedom. Those are the kinds of things that, you, that happen a thousand times in different ways in, in every social movement in this country, that the spirit that people have and which, no matter what they do, cannot really be extinguished. So I think it's possible to teach kids about people like that. I think it's possible to teach kids about other kids. I think it's possible to teach them about the kids who in the early part of 1903 traveled to Washington, D.C. Kids who worked in the mines were gathered up and organized by Mother Jones, who took them to Washington, D.C. to ask Congress to do something about child labor in the mines and elsewhere. Uh, and the kids. Uh, marched around uh, in front of the White House. Theodore Roosevelt was president. Sorry to mention his name. <laughs> and, but the kids marched around carrying signs uh, saying, we want time to play. I think, I think there are lots of really wonderful and inspiring stories to tell kids about people who have fought back against uh, terrible things in this country. And rounding out our series of Howard Zinn tracks, that was Why Solidarity Matters. Here is Big D off the album Liberty. This is Rage of a Poet 2. That are drifting from our faith I speak for oppression I'm not sitting here as a fake I put my life into this music So quit bitching on mistakes I do this for Kuwait So stop bitching on my tapes I speak of civil wars And how we're committing all this hate All the starving kids Without a dinner on their plate I dream of the freedom My people start to taste I don't scream yellow Or hang with the kids That fight for freedom Cause I'm planning to live In a world without corruption But the challenge is big Our planet is sick 
they show what cannabis is and guns and money and act like it's actually sick but I just find a word in how families officially split and they brainwash children with the vanity switch innocent Muslims die in Guantanamo Bay tortured by water as a sign of all of their hate while I fight for their rights and keep fighting till the grave cause we Muslims are not terrorists or any of the gimmicks they made and I hate rappers that worship Lucifer like it's great honoring Satan is not any different to an act of rape and I don't need your cars or money to sit on an estate while innocent people die on a mission to escape that's why every day I'm missing the love cause I can see the devil and he's living with us that's why I can't keep quiet and spitting fire is a must cause the new world order wants us living in cuffs evil lives within and even sitting on a bus trying to be your best friend they ain't giving it up so I've gotta write bars and give wisdom on these cuts in order for you to see the truth till the day I sit in the dust yeah that's until I'm buried and gone my music's boring to the ignorant but fuck them they're wrong they try to laugh at the truth I spit in a song but they're imprisoned mentally so tell them it's on and the new Genghis Khan is Obama in the flesh a dictating leader who was born to repress with Luciferian signs and all of the money they check they're all murderers and they're all coveting death and they're tracking everything from Facebook to Instagram they're all making billions every day then put it into banks and they spend it on war and put it into tanks to kill innocent children with all their sinister plans and most people think I am prepared in this booth to speak what's real and declare it as truth I mean every day is war they declare it with troops and they take innocent lies they don't care if they shoot and Nelson Mandela was a fake he was a terrorist and did all of his business with the states he could have stopped war but nah he was paid Google and see how many South Africans did he obliterate and the African continent is still brutal all across its plains from the south to the north and the public divide from the kids getting killed by Republican guys and South Africa's back with vessel rape and homicide Jacob Zuma's no good it can be disguised if the government and leader were legit it would be paradise 50 people die a day in South Africa and they claim it's right 6,000 people die a day in Syria open your eyes will there ever be peace or is it just hate fuck the new world I'm a lyricist, this is my mission to create and educate the youth, I got what it takes I hope people will awake when my message circulates, so no, I won't ever give up I'm the realest MC you could ever think up, so listen back again and you can try and link up My real knowledge cause it's something to sync up Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up And that'll just about wrap up this episode of Polyrical. You can check out all the back episodes of Polyrical at polyrical.com. You can follow Polyrical on Twitter. And you can hear this and my other podcast playing 24-7 on twitch.tv slash movingtrainradio. Here is Carlton Reese and the Birmingham Movement Choir. From the album Sing for Freedom Lest We Forget Volume 3 This is 99 and a half Won't do Thanks for listening